Acts chapter 28, verse 16. <clears throat> Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? One verse to start with this morning. But it says a lot. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier to guard him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray as we understand the context of what this sentence says. It's power and it's message to us this morning. Open our hearts even now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we are finishing the story that we looked at last week in our study of Acts. 30 years that changed the world in today's message is entitled the magnificent hand of God the magnificent hand of God what I just read in Acts chapter 28 is basically how the book ends chapter 28 is the last chapter in Acts now you notice that Paul is still alive we don't have a record of his death although we have some first century late first century historians that talk about those kinds of things uh, but Paul currently here is in under house arrest from 60 to 62 he spends that time in Rome under house arrest. That is, he's there. There's a guard watching him. He is a prisoner, technically. He's waiting for appeal, and he will have that appeal in 62 AD. Uh, that appeal will come from uh, to the Caesar, <clears throat> and the Caesar of the time will render his judgment. Who was Caesar in 62 AD? <clears throat> can, can any of you tell me? A bunch of historians. I know because I looked it up. <laughs> it's a man named Nero. You remember Nero, he was famous. Nero came to power in 54 AD, and I'm gonna give you a little history lesson here. Don't tune me out, I won't be there very long, but I think you need to understand the context of what Paul is dealing with. He came to power in 60, excuse me, 54 AD. He ruled till 68 AD uh, when he committed suicide. In 54 AD, when Nero became the Caesar, he was 16 years old. <clears throat> now, I have a 16-year-old son, and I love him dearly, but if we woke up tomorrow and found out that our son was the President of the United States, uh, I'm, I, would, I would be a little concerned. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure he'd mess it up any more than it is right now, but, but I don't think he's quite ready to be. Somebody applauded. <laughs> I don't think my son is quite ready to be president just yet. And needless to say, Nero was in no way, shape, or form ready to be uh, emperor. In fact, he was a, a, not a good emperor. He took over for Claudius, who wasn't a great emperor either. He, he was stodgy and old, and, and so they were looking for someone young, I think, at that point. And so he took over in 54 AD. Now, uh, Paul appealed to Rome, and so after being under house arrest from 58 to 60, he finally gets to go to Rome. And we looked last week how he got on this ship. Uh, he was a prisoner uh, appealing to Rome. The ship is going to go to Rome, but God told him, hey, this ship isn't going to make it. So he went to the centurion and said, hey, if we take off, we're not going to make it. And so the centurion said, uh, basically, I, I, I'm reading between the lines here, you're, you're just an idiot prisoner. Why should I listen to you? Didn't listen to him, and they took off anyway. And guess what? They didn't make it. And so... Um, during that trip, God used a number of things to, to convince the centurion that Paul knew, to, knew what he was talking about. 
And so Paul and some other prisoners there, along with everybody else, the Roman soldiers and the centurion, were on board, and they're not going to make it. And God makes this promise to Paul. An, an angel shows up one night and says to Paul, Hey, I want you to know because of you, I'm going to go ahead, God says this, I'm going to go ahead and spare everyone on board. How many were on board? Yeah, 276, I believe, were on board. And so God spared them all because of Paul. And so, by the way, back to Nero, <clears throat> about this time, so Nero had gotten married. And uh, again, I wouldn't let my son get married at 16. It didn't go very well. He had his wife executed. And... <clears throat> So he married, uh, remarried. Uh, it, it, by the way, if you have your wife executed, or, or ladies, if a man has his wife executed, don't marry him. Don't be a second wife. His second wife was he murdered her too, and uh, and so it, it just went from bad to worse. By the way, Nero had his own mother executed. Uh, did you know that? So now I don't want to say he's a bad son and a bad husband, but you know when you kill two wives and your mom, you're, you're pretty messed up. And so that's how messed up Nero was. In 62 AD is when he killed his second wife, and so he then married a man. I don't remember the guy's name, it didn't work out too well, but uh, he married this guy and he wanted to be, uh, Nero wanted to be the blushing bride at the, at the wedding, so he, he wore the veil that a bride traditionally would have worn uh, at his wedding. So he's, he's a little bit dysfunctional. And then in 67 AD, a year before his death, he married a, a boy. Uh, it was a slave boy, and he, the, the second wife he killed, he felt bad about that, or he missed her, you know, remorse. And uh, so uh, the historians say that this boy kind of favored his ex-wife, and so he had the boy castrated, and he married him in 67 AD, and then he committed suicide the next year. So... <clears throat> Now, I say it to say two things. This, this is the context of what Paul is dealing with here. And number two, you know, it's the 21st century, and I know you and I think our world is really messed up, and it is, but it's been messed up for a long time. You know, when a guy is marrying boys and, and uh, you know, murdering his mom and his wives, that, that's about as messed up as, as it can get. Now, something interesting happened in his life between 62 and 60. Uh, 67 because in 62 when Paul went before Nero Nero because uh, Paul appealed to Nero Nero thought apparently what do I care a bunch of Jewish guys don't like what he's saying and so he let him go all, all evidence suggests that he let him go because he didn't care he didn't know about Christians he didn't care about Christians so he released him but in 68 AD the same emperor, Nero, just months before his own suicide, he had Paul executed, had him beheaded. Probably he was beheaded. So we don't have that in scripture, but we do have historians talk about that, that he was executed and he was beheaded under Nero. Now, the only people that Nero liked executing more than his family were politicians. He loved to execute them. And so that didn't go over too well. So the Senate decided in 68, and they declared Nero an enemy of the state. And since he was an enemy of the state, that doesn't end very well. So he went ahead and just took his own life. He died at the age of 30. All of that happened before the age of 30. Isn't that something? So he, he let Paul go in 62, had him executed in 68. What happened between in 64 AD 
uh, Nero had big plans for Rome that involved a big palace that was dedicated to him, for him. And around that palace were going to be all these beautiful gardens. He, he was a vision caster, and he had a big vision for his big palace. The problem is there was a big section of Rome where people lived there by the tens of thousands. And so to clear them out, somehow, miraculously, a fire started in 64 AD, burned down that whole section of town. The fire burned for weeks and uh, killed a bunch of people, and they blamed Nero. Now, Nero didn't want to take the blame, so who did he blame? He blamed Christians. And so there in 64 AD, this big persecution started uh, toward Christians, and Paul lost his life in the midst of that persecution. So that's the context of what we're looking at. And uh, having said all of that, getting back to Paul and Luke, on this ship of 266, I want you to notice something important here, which is my first point this morning. God's plan is perfect, not easy. Young people, listen to me. God's plan is perfect for your life. I'm not saying your life is perfect. I'm saying his plan is perfect, but it's not easy. And sometimes we get those mixed up, and we're going to see this morning God's plan was perfect, but it was not easy. Look in Acts chapter 27. We're going to back up onto the boat again. Chapter 27, verse 42. The boat's going down. Uh, it's hitting a sandbar. And so it says, The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. See, the centurion has now had a change of heart about Paul. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get the land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everybody reached land in safety. I told you last week, they didn't have any life preservers. They only had one emergency lifeboat. And as that was being lowered, uh, so some of the leaders could jump on the boat and save themselves, they thought, Paul said to the centurion, if they get on the boat, they're not going to make it. They have to stay here with me in order to be saved. And the centurion, now putting his faith in what Paul had to say, had them cut the ropes to the safety boat and it was gone. And so they had nothing except parts of the boat and planks. By the way, they didn't swim. Nobody could swim. They all seemed like stones. And so this, this is what happened. He says, I want you to get on the, grab a plank. He said, if you can swim, for you swimmers, swim. For everybody else, grab a plank or part of the boat and see if you can get land that way. Everybody made it. Now, I'm not a nautical historian. I can tell you that thousands and probably tens of thousands of ships sank during this time, the first century, second century, third century, centuries before and after you talk about shipwrecks all over the world ships just sank a lot and when they sank everybody died occasionally perhaps there would be miraculously some survivors a few i don't know if there were a, a, was a time in history or certainly in the first century among all the thousands of shipwrecks where every single person on board survived it's a miracle in and of itself. Even the Romans would attest to that. Now remember, God had promised Paul that everyone would survive. No one would die because Paul was on board, and that's exactly what happened. However, it was not exactly a first 
class disembarkation. <laughs> there was no wreath around their head or around their neck. There was no red carpet to walk down. There was no hotel waiting for them. Uh, it was on a plank. It reminds us of this. Sometimes we've moved forward with God's plan for our life on ships. And sometimes we move forward on planks. Sometimes we move forward with God's plan for our life on ships and sometimes on planks. Sometimes we're dry and warm and sometimes we're wet and cold. The center of God's will is blessed, but it's not always easy or fun. I say this because we are tempted to believe that if everything is going to be easy, that everything is going to be easy and smooth, uh, then if it's easy and smooth, that we must be in the middle of God's plan and his blessing and his purpose in, a, in our life. And if everything is difficult, then we must be outside of God's plan and we've got to get everything smooth sailing so we'll be back in God's plan. But that is just not how God's providence works. It's hard for us to understand now, but sometimes God's blessing is on a plank. In the past two millennia, how many dungeons have Christians lived in, slept in, died in? In the last 2,000 years, how many Christians have suffered with diseases how many cold nights? How many empty stomachs? How many gallows have they been marched to? But God was glorified. The kingdom was advanced and God's people received their eternal reward in heaven. For the soldiers and other prisoners on board this ship, they were blessed to be counted with the apostle Paul because that's what saved them. Because God had determined it to be. And, th and there's a greater purpose to this, and we'll see it in a minute. While they may not have realized it, it was the best night of their life <laughs> because God spared them all on planks. Number two, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Now that may be the tiredest, most overused statement from preachers for the last 2,000 years, but it's pretty good doctrine. The Lord does work in mysterious ways and what he is doing right here in the midst of all of this craziness is just shocking. What is about to happen is shocking. Look with me in Acts chapter 28 verse one. <clears throat> Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Well, that's bad news. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off of his hand into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said what? That he was a god. Well, first thought, <clears throat> these people are what I call theologically bipolar. <laughs> so he's there, he's a prisoner, 
And uh, he manages to survive the shipwreck. They don't know that everybody survives because God had told Paul, it's because of you, I'm gonna save everybody. They just think he's a guy. And he may have been in chains, I don't know, but they apparently recognize him as a prisoner. <clears throat> and no sooner does he make it to shore, they make a fire for him and he's trying to help out. He grabs a piece of wood and a snake comes out and he bites, a viper bites him on the hand. Now these islanders have seen these vipers many times before they know what happens. You, you die, you get bit by a poisonous snake, you die in the first century. And so they're just watching him, waiting for him to drop over. <clears throat> and what happens? <clears throat> Nothing, he's fine. And so then they decide that he is a God. They were theologically bipolar. It, it doesn't take a lot, by the way. You know, you, <laughs> you drive along, or I saw on YouTube this week, there was a cloud formation and the guy said it looked like an angel. The clouds look like, and everybody, he got jillions of views on YouTube, like nearly a million views, and everybody's in awe of this cloud formation that looks like an angel. And the, the news media came and interviewed him because he took this picture of a cloud that looked like an angel. <clears throat> it looked like a genie with, with a lamp on its head to me. But he says it was an angel, and everybody ooh and awed, and as he's talking about this angel, he, he begins to choke up and 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 cry because it was so meaningful to him because he saw a cloud that looked like an angel. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I don't wanna disrespect anybody's theology, but you know, it, it's, it's like God gave us all of the created order, the entire universe to draw us to him. If that's not enough, he gave us his word, the Bible. What an amazing document because it's God speaking to us. But apparently that's not enough. So God says, okay, give my angel cloud. <laughs> you know, the Bible's good, they need an angel cloud. No, we don't need an angel cloud, we have the word of God. And so if you believe that every cloud looks like an angel or whatever, you see Jesus on your toast, that was another thing. Somebody like $30,000 on eBay sold his piece of toast that had an image of Jesus burned into it. And then they came out with toast a toaster that actually toasted, burned the image of Jesus on the piece of toast. So, because, because that's the level where we are. Oh my goodness. Wow. <clears throat> well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. By the way, if you believe that Jesus is on a piece of toast, but the first question is why would he do that? Is that what it takes to increase your faith? He has to burn himself onto a piece of toast. Really? Really? Look, if you want to believe that Jesus on a piece of toast, for those of you who believe that, <clears throat> I want to say if you tie this morning, you might win the lottery. <laughs> if you're that gullible, go right ahead. Um, so anyway, that's the bad theology of the week, by, by the way, right there. The Lord does work in mysterious ways. And so... He puts his hand in the, in the wood, the snake bites him, nothing happens, and they start to worship him. The second thing you notice in verse 2, it says, did you, did you catch this? Go back to verse 2. It says, the islanders showed us what? Unusual kindness. Oh, that's wonderful. That's the kindness I like. 
unusual kindness. Now, I'm better at receiving unusual kindness than giving unusual kindness. He doesn't just say kindness. The islanders showed us kindness. He makes a point. Luke makes a point to say, this was really above and beyond. Now, how many of those islanders were Christians? Zero. There weren't even Jews there. They were all Greeks living on Malta. They're not believers. They never even heard of Jesus Christ. Now, they're about to. But they never heard of Christ, and yet they bent over backwards to show unusual kindness to these people. That's, I just think that's marvelous. Even though they weren't Christians, they were just nice people. And it turns out I really like nice people, especially unusually nice people. You know, we used to live in a country that was nice. We were nice to each other. After World War II, my dad could tell you, we were kind to one another. If there was a funeral going down the street, everybody got over. I came to work this morning at 5.30, it was pitch black, and there was a guy coming up the highway and we just crossed each other on the highway. He had a late, he had a late model Ford pickup the last couple of years and I can tell you that because Ford has come out with these, these headlights on their newer pickup, their newest pickup. And when the bright lights are on, you can't see a thing. I mean, I don't know, I I don't know how they're legal, but my goodness, are they bright. And so I flashed the guides, which is what you do to let him know, because sometimes we forget that his bright lights were on. He didn't care, he didn't care. He just blinded me the whole way. Here's the thing. I can't do anything about that guy, unless you're here. I watched a, a video this week on YouTube of a current, just recently, a car chase, a police chase, and they were chasing a guy in a stolen car. They're going down the interstate, and the guy's sirens are blaring, his lights are on, and he's trying to get down the lane, the fast lane, and his lights are on so that people will do what? They'll move over. And I was shocked. It was like 30 minutes long, and people don't move over. They just keep on going like nothing's going on. I was really amazed at that. And the police officer had so, the guy got away, by the way. The guy, the police officer had so much difficulty getting around everybody. But there was a day when you heard those sirens, you got over. We were nicer. I don't know what's happened to us as a nation. That's why I love going to the Philippines. They are so nice. That's the nicest people you ever meet. My wife is a nice person. She grew up that way. They may not have anything in their life. They may live in a bamboo hut, but they're nice to you. They're nice people. They smile. They greet you. They're polite. They're just nice people. I think they're related to the Malta people. <laughs> just unusually nice. By the way, you and I as believers in Christ shouldn't have to go to the secular world looking for nice people. We should be the nice people. In fact, we should be the unusually nice people. That's the people I like. A few weeks ago, I ordered my Christmas present because I learned a long time ago in marriage, men, if you really want a good present, just order it yourself. <laughs> I got exactly what I wanted. Santa Claus is wonderful. So I ordered this thing and 
uh, they said, okay, the company sent me an email and says, okay, it takes, you know, everything's backed up. It takes seven to 10 days to process and, and the shipping company is, is backdated. So it's another seven, 10 days, which is why I ordered it real early. <clears throat> Monday, uh, uh, Cherry reminds me that we're going on vacation uh, at Monday at two. So, <laughs> so Monday, she says, all right, we're leaving at two. And I thought, oh no. Okay, so we got in the car, we, we went down to, um, uh, Marble Falls for two days. And uh, about an hour from Marble Falls, there's a, we call it a mountain in Texas. It was a hill that Cherry wanted to make us all walk up. And we did. Um, it's called the Enchanted Rock. Have you ever been there? It's a big rock. I, I don't know how it's enchanted, but, but we walked up that rock. And uh, we got some great pictures. We ha actually had a really good time. The weather was beautiful. This was, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday. So anyway, when the person, so I got a call just before we left and the, the, the person said, hey, this is the shipping company. Your, your thing came in. Uh, we want to deliver it tomorrow. And I said, well, we're going to be out of town tomorrow, Wednesday. I, I didn't get a tracking. Now, they never sent a tracking number. They're supposed to send a tracking number. They didn't. And uh, they said, well, we're going to be closed Thursday and Friday. And if you don't take it tomorrow or Wednesday, I'll have to, this is the lady speaking. She said, I'll have to talk to the boss about charging you a storage fee. That's what they said. Now, <clears throat> it's amazing how quickly we push Jesus right out of our heart <laughs> when we hear something like that. And uh, now, I, I want you to know, I, I wasn't ugly to her, but I wasn't unusually kind. <laughs> And I ended the call pretty quickly and said, well, I'm not paying any fee and, you know, we'll see about that or something. And then I called the, the, the company that I bought it from and that lady was wonderful. And again, often when I call these call centers, you know where, where the call center rep is? They're in the Philippines. And you know why they have so many Filipino call centers. Companies all over the United States use the Philippines for their call centers because Filipinos are really, really nice. Well, this was an amen, said the Filipino. <laughs> well, this person was an American. She, she was Caucasian. I could tell by her, her lack of accent or dialect. And she was unusually nice to me. She said, oh no, Mr. Scythe, you will, I promise you will not have to pay a fee. We're gonna take care of it. And she did. There were multiple emails I got afterwards and it's gonna be delivered tomorrow and everything is fine and everybody's happy. But I love that unusual niceness. Listen, God expects you and me to be unusually nice. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be ugly. And we don't have, to, I'm not talking about being false either, that you just grit your teeth, but you hate their guts quietly. That's not what I'm talking about. We can be nice people, can we not? Yes. So be nice. Um, uh, God may have arranged that shipwreck and even the snake bite because he wanted those nice people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when those people wrecked, they had no idea what was waiting for them. Paul had no idea what was waiting for them or who was waiting for them at Malta. Had no idea there were a bunch of nice people. You know who knew? God knew. 
He knew there are unusually nice people there. He wanted them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to save those people from their sins. And so he crashed the ship on purpose. He sent the storm. And as they're floating to the shore on planks, they're thinking this is a bad day. No, it was God's day, God's plan, and God's purpose. And God was glorified. Now it doesn't stop there. Look with me in Acts chapter 28, verse 7. <clears throat> there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He's like the president of the island. He welcomed us into his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. Now, who is us? 276 people. Now, I don't know how many people you had for Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I doubt it was 276. And whoever you had, they're probably people you knew and recognized, hopefully. They're probably friends and family. These are complete strangers. And the guy invites 276 people to his home and, and provides for them for three days. Can you imagine feeding 276 people for three days? Now look at verse 8. This is the result of his unusual kindness. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And so every illness, every disease, every deformity from every person on the island was all healed because of their unusual kindness. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, reciprocated, and everybody got healed. A wonderful. Verse 9. <clears throat> when this had happened, the rest of the sick came on the island and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. That makes me want to move to Malta. <laughs> Makes me want to move to the Philippines every time I go there because they're so nice to us. Now notice the response of the chief official and the people of Malta. In verse 7 it says he welcomed them to his home. And again, the them is 276 people. Next in verse 10 it says they honored them. Did you see that? Verse 10, they honored us in many ways. According to Webster's Dictionary, honor means reverence, respect, and esteem. Why did they give them reverence and respect and esteem? It's how the Bible says that we should treat our parents. One of the great commandments, honor thy mother and thy father. We should honor people. By the way, we used to do that a lot better than we do now as well. In Revelation chapter 7, Paul, excuse me, not Paul, John, speaks about this incredible scene in heaven and I've described it to you a number of times before it's a worship service but it's the worship service billions countless it says believers in Christ who have died and are there and they're around the throne worshiping you've got the living creatures and and you got all these heavenly hosts and then it says countless angels are there as well. It is the ultimate worship service in heaven around the throne of God. There's God Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing day. In the midst of that, 
It says the angels and you and I and everybody's there that's there says this. Revelation chapter 7 verse 12. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and here's the word honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> you look better learn to honor others because we're going to be doing a lot of that in heaven. And then lastly I'll leave this with you tonight. Or today, not not yet. God's plan for Paul, oddly enough, this is odd, God's plan for Paul was to stay put. Verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 says this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And that happened over a course of two years, we find out. From 60 to 62, he was under house arrest. Now, I guarantee, listen to me, I guarantee that's not what Paul wanted. Paul was a go-getter for two years. He could have been out. He probably thought he was going to go to Rome and be there a few days or a few weeks, and then his appeal would be heard before Nero. Nero would say, those are dumb charges. I, I release you. And then he could go about doing his thing. He had... He had entire nations to evangelize. He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to all these different places. He had people to, to convert. He had churches to plant. He had so many big plans and things that he wanted to do. And yet there he was seemingly stuck in Rome for two years. That wasn't his plan, but that was God's plan. He had a path for him. It was during this time of confinement that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, and to Philemon. And listen to me, I need those books. You need those books. For thousands of years, how many lives have been changed? How many, how many, uh, how many people have come to faith in Christ? How many people have grown to maturity because of those amazing books? that God determined that Paul would write in order for him to slow down and do it, he had to put him in confinement for two years. Now, wow, you may be in confinement today, maybe you're out on a plank. I want you to know God's got a plan and a purpose. I told you a while ago that I wouldn't, though I love my son dearly, I wouldn't make him president. I have three children. And it's remarkable for those of you who are old like me, I'm in my 50s, we look back and I think, oh, if my kids really knew, the world is their oyster. Oh, if I woke up tomorrow and I was one of them, uh, do you think about that, old people? <laughs> Fellow old people? Oh, if I could wake up, you do. If I could be my kid's age, or I woke up and I was like my grandchild, I would just, we'd rule the world. We'd have the best time. You know, I wonder, because I'm in my 50s, if I live to be 100 if I wouldn't look back at my 50s and I would think as a 100-year-old man, oh, man, when I was in my 50s, I didn't know nothing. <laughs> if only I was in my 50s again, it would be awesome. Did you know that they're saying medical science is, is helping break the aging barrier right now in the next generation of people? Our children, my, my grandchildren, one day when they come along, that uh, by the time they're elderly, they will have cracked it and people will be living to 150 years, or maybe even 200 years. Can you imagine, if I was 150, I'd probably look back and think, oh, I remember when I was 100, I didn't know anything. 
I didn't know how to live then. Boy, I've got figured out now. Do you know what? Noah died when he was 950 years old. I wonder if Noah didn't look back and think, ah, oh, I remember when I was 500. I was an idiot. <laughs> you see, we don't have it figured out, do we? We don't have it all figured out. God's got it figured out, though, and we need to trust him to take care of it. I miss my father. Toward the end of his life, as I've shared with you before, he had Alzheimer's. Uh, just there at the very end, it, it took his mind piece by piece so that in the last week of his life, he did not recognize anyone. Some of you know what that's like. You've seen it in your family as well. He grew up during the Great Depression of 29, and he knew what it was like to struggle. He went off to World War II in Europe fighting Germans in foxhole after foxhole, and he knew what it was like to serve his country and to be loyal. He became a great husband to my mother and was always faithful to her. He learned what it was like to be loving and kind. He raised five kids, and he knew the importance of making sure we were in church along with him and mom every single Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He knew the importance of faith in his own life and in the life of his family. But with Alzheimer's, that all began to slip away. One day, he walked out the front door. This was while I was pastoring here, probably 15 or 18 years ago, shortly before his death. I didn't know about it till it was all over. Mom was asleep. He just got up and walked out the front door. Now later, we would put an alarm on the door so it would go off so that mom would know if he was leaving the house. But she didn't know. She woke up, found the front door open, and dad was gone, long gone. She had no idea where he went or what had happened. She called 911. I may have shared this with you. The Graham, living Graham, small town of seven or 8,000 people. The, the Graham Police Department begin to dispatch their officers, and then they eventually got the firefighters involved as well, and the EMTs, and so they're all collectively going block to block looking for Dad. Couldn't find him. Finally, Dad, you know, maybe 10 or 12 blocks away, completely lost. He walks up onto the porch of a neighbor, sits down on a swing, and the neighbor comes out and says, can, can I help you? And Dad says, well, I don't know where I am, but I'm tired and I'm thirsty. And they gave him something to drink and they took him home. To see somebody who was so intelligent, so kind, so experienced and so brave was now helpless and lost. And that's exactly how we are in God's eyes. You see, I won't live to be 950, but even if I did, I still would be dependent upon God to navigate through this world. I can't get there. Paul couldn't do it. He had no idea that he needed to appeal to Rome so that he could go on a boat, so the boat could crash, so that God could do a miracle and send him to Malta and evangelize that island. God, God knew every step of the way that while they were floating on those planks and they thought this was a disaster, it really was a miracle. 
God has a purpose and plan for you this Christmas season. I can't tell you exactly where it is, but I can tell you what you and I need to do along the way. Here's my challenge to you. As we leave this morning, be unusually nice. Dim your lights. Pull over. <laughs> I went to Best Buy on Black Friday. I don't know why. I just maybe self-punishment. I don't know. I never bought anything. I was there about an hour. Uh, I just walked through the store once. It took an hour. And I was amazed. Now, there was no actual pushing and shoving, but I didn't see a single smile while I was there, whether employee or, or customer, including myself, by the way. It was not a happy scene. I forgot for a moment about my Savior and the hustle and bustle. It's amazing how rude we have become in celebration of Jesus' birthday. <laughs> wow. Happy birthday, Jesus. Sorry. Well, now you got a choice. Think about it. Help me, and I'll help you, and together we're going to leave this place as we do God's will and be nice. If not us, then who? The Muslims? The atheists? Who is God calling to be kind? and a light in a dark world, if not you and I. Pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that we are no different than my own father. Couldn't find his way back home. We are just as helpless and hopeless without you. But you sent us a shepherd, the good shepherd, to guide us to watch over us as we listen for his voice today. And as we get ready in our hearts right now, Thanksgiving is now behind us. Black Friday's over. Christmas is coming. It is in, we are now in the Christmas season and as we find ourselves in this season, Lord, help us to act appropriately. Not just pretending but from the inside out that we would be unusually kind to others. May we go out today and shock the waitress or the worker at Walmart or the agent on the phone and how kind we are. Let us draw people toward you. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you to do that today? Some of you have trust issues, you're struggling in your life and you're on a plank, floating in the ocean and you don't know why. And you think that God has abandoned you, but really he's using that plank as a path for blessing. He'll bring you through. He loves you. Trust that he's got a plan. It may be that you've been struggling this week like I have and you have not been as kind as you could be or should be. Some of you, you know who you are, may have a real problem with that. Listen, go to God today. Humble yourself before him right here, right now. And say, God, you know how I struggle. And during this time when traffic is so bad and people are in such a rush and the crowds are terrible and everything costs too much that the anxiety gets to me and I just become ugly. Say, God, forgive me. Help 
to be light, to be kind. And maybe God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church. You want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. That's all you have to do. We'd like to be members here. Or maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ. You want to come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to surrender to Him. My life now belongs to Him. And I'll share with you and pray with you. Maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. Something is on your mind and on your heart. This altar is open. These steps are here. You can come and pray before God. Or maybe you just want to have gratitude and come and thank God for all of His direction and help in your life. As we pray, this invitation is for you. Would everyone stand? As you stand, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. And as you stand right now, you come.